0: Let's get into the Word of God here, though. Uh, I just want to read through the first nine verses. That's what we looked at last week. And Moses has come of age. Uh, remember in chapter 2, the Lord put it into his heart to, uh, you know, that he was going to use him to deliver the people of God, the, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But uh, even though it was put into his heart, the people of Israel weren't ready to be delivered yet. And we saw really Moses trying to force the work of God through what looked like a work of the flesh and intervening. And, and though it seems like in, in defending the Israelite against the Egyptian who was beating him, it was a thing where he was defending his life. And in the process, remember, the Egyptian got killed. The Bible doesn't condemn and it it condemn him and that, but instead talks about him defending the person. And we spent some time talking about self-defense and things biblically. And trying to clarify, you know, some nonsense being taught by some people today when it comes to that. <clears throat> but um, remember, uh, the next day, the two Israelites were fighting, and he says, hey, why are you fighting with your brother? And they came back like, who made you a ruler over us? And it came to Moses' attention that Pharaoh knew, and he, he took off for the desert. And last week, we picked it up here uh, after he had, you know, met Jethro, married his daughter, they had some kids, and we picked it up here in chapter 3, and he's been out in the desert for 40 years taking care of of Jethro, his father-in-law's sheep. And this is where we see that burning bush. And uh, he's there tending to the sheep. It says in the backside of the desert, and he sees this bush that's burning, but the bush is not being consumed, and he's drawn to it to inquire. So let's read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to pick it up through verse 10 and look at the rest of this. that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, I am here. Then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up to that land, uh, from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And... Uh, that's where we stopped last week and just, we finished on that note of the fact that God hears the cries of His people. And God sees our oppressions and so forth. And um, we, you know what, we're encouraged in that, that, you know it, there's times in life when things aren't fair, right? At least from our perspective. Has anyone here ever said it's not fair? Uh, and then we wonder where our kids get it, right? Saying that at every little turn. Um, but listen, there's injustices in this world, though. You know, absolutely, if we got justice out of ourselves, we would go, he- go to hell. But Christ came to make that way of salvation. So ultimately, we don't got a lot to complain about. Amen. <laughs> but absolutely, in serving the Lord, uh, you know, we, we, it's our scripture we talk about oftentimes. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer persecution. And the Bible talks about the sufferings of Christ. And uh, I think we're gathered here tonight because we, you know... We want to serve the Lord. I don't think that you're taking a Wednesday night where you could be doing all kinds of other things and you decided to put that aside to come out here. I, I, I would hope it's in part because you want to serve the Lord and you want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, in that, again, in the world, there, there's going to be suffering, oppression. When Manston and the guard of death came, uh, but... Through faith in Christ, we are the sons and daughters of God, adopted through the work of the cross there and faith in Him. And we have an assurance that, that the world doesn't have who's re, who rejects Jesus' Lordship in that, you know what, uh, not only does God see our oppression, but He hears our cries. And I think that in itself should be a great encouragement to us if God sees my struggles and oppressions and the persecutions and trials, and for that matter, even our struggles, and sometimes the greatest oppression is battling the old flesh, right? And that sin that, we, that wages war against our soul every day. The Bible says that, that, you know, the flesh wages war against our soul every day. And our own flesh sometimes is the greatest oppressor. Uh, God sees that and, listen, He wants to hear from us. He stands at the door and knocks. And He's saying, let me hear from you. Let's, let's dine together. Let's speak together. I, I see your oppression cry out to me. And so, let that be an encouragement to us to cast our cares upon Him. Knowing He already sees these things, and sometimes we're like, well, I pray, but I don't know if I can put it into words. Well, listen, sometimes there's just groanings that come from the Holy Spirit, and we don't necessarily need to say anything. Sometimes, you know what my prayer is? Lord, You know. Lord, I don't even know how to say this, but, but You know, Lord. And so, I'm bringing what You know before You and just asking You, to do what needs to be done because you know, I don't know how to even say this, and I don't even know necessarily, you know, where I'm right now with this, even how to pray concerning it. So I just want to cry out to you, you know, and say, Lord, I need your help. I know you know, and I know that I need your help. And so here I am, Lord, meet me where I'm at. And praise God, our God loves us. And our God, again, sees the oppression he hears our cries let's cry out to him amen i mean jesus said you have not because you ask not and there are often times when for whatever reason we don't cry out and it's the most foolish thing in the world especially again in the midst of the fallen world and in our daily life in the midst of persecution and oppression god almighty who made all this who sustains it all who has given us his promises who died on the cross so we can have salvation who is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's been on the throne forever. He will be on the throne forever. He's saying, come, cast your cares upon me, and why don't we do that? And so maybe even tonight as we're just talking about what we left off last week and head into where we are tonight, maybe just that's a word for someone here. I know it's a general word for all of us, But maybe you're here tonight and you've been bottling that up and you haven't been crying out. That's the Lord speaking to you through his scripture saying, you need to start crying out to me and casting these things before me every day. Can we say amen to that? Now notice verse 10. He says, come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So again, he's come here to the burning bush the Lord told him to take these sandals off his feet. The place he was standing was holy ground. And we talked about, you know, who knows where those sandals have been. Um, he tells him who he is so that, that you know what, uh, he's not playing games with Moses. He, he, he wanted to make it real clear who he was, the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it would take Moses back to that covenant and why there was a covenant with Abraham. It had to do with the coming Messiah, So we see Jesus being interjected into this. And then he simply tells him, listen, I'm hearing these cries. And and Moses was familiar with this. Because again, 40 years earlier, Moses saw the oppression too, didn't he? And it came into his heart that they needed to be delivered. They just weren't ready for it. And we'd have to think these last 40 years that maybe Moses had suppressed that or forgot about that or had just said, you know, well, listen, I tried. There's nothing I can do about it but God had put into his heart, the difference is now it was time to act on that as God would prompt him. And so again, uh, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you'll bring out my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And you know what? We see in Moses here, again, God doing something with him that God does with his people throughout the word of God. We serve ascending God. Uh, Even tonight as we're gathered here, We're gathered here in part for the equipping of the saints, and if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. Before we were sinners, when we put our faith in Jesus, we became saints. We're sanctified through the work of the cross, and we're here in part to worship the Lord tonight, to encourage one another, but we're here in part tonight for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and we gather here Together, to get into God's Word, to get built up, to learn about the ministry, to so forth, to get built up with the Word of God, so that we would go out there. And we come here, we spend time with the Lord to go out there, and God has sent us out to make disciples of all nations, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to know this. We need to understand this. We see this concept throughout Scripture. I mean, it's a fallen world. God even modeled this in sending His Son. For us, and I love it—the fact that God never calls us to do anything He didn't first to do, first do Himself. And so we need to know that as Moses is being sent to go to Pharaoh, and um, listen, that's no small undertaking. Probably, in fact, we'll see him even trying to resist this and find excuses and reasons not to go. Um, not that we ever do that, right? Um, but imagine going to the most powerful man in the world and saying, "Listen." God, who you don't know, is saying it's time to let these people you've been oppressing and killing all their children to go out and sacrifice to him in the desert for three days. And listen, if Moses leaned on his own understanding, and we'll see there's some of that that takes place in the next chapter, and God basically deals with that, um, he could find all the reasons in the world not to do that. But listen, when God sends us He goes before us, He goes with us, He even goes behind us. And we need to lean on Him knowing that um, He doesn't send us on vain mission trips and we're not in here in vain, but He sends us out to this world around us because we have what they need, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to rest in that and we also need to acknowledge that fact that we are sent And we need to be asking the Lord to strengthen us in that. And, you know, I'm studying for this Sunday morning here in James, and it says, you know, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And one of the marks that we're hearers of the word is that we're actually doing the word. We're out putting it into practice. And when it comes to being sent, again, Moses is being sent, and we'll see that he goes, and he doesn't just hear this, but God demands something of him, and he goes out, and he does it. Let's remember God has sent us. And let's ask ourselves, are, are we going? And I know that looks different for different people. There's different gifts, different ministries and applications and so forth. I think it starts, though, with prayer. You know, it being said, are we praying for the unbelievers around us? I, I, if, you, if you're not doing, start there. Start interceding, start praying. And you know what? There are some people that have that gift of evangelism. Others are told to do the work of an evangelist. And there's all kinds of different ways to do that that we won't get into right now. But you know what? The thing I really want to point out is the fact that as he's sending Moses here, he's sending us as well. And again, though this could be a fearful thing, we don't need to fear because the Lord's with us. And if he sends us, he's going to go before us. He's going to go with us. He's even going to cover, you know what, behind us. And I would just hope that that in itself is an encouragement with us, to us tonight. And it's just something that that we can remember. He's sending us, but He's going before us. And then notice what He says here as well, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out out of Egypt. And I just want to touch on this briefly because notice, God calls the children of Israel His people. And there's never anywhere in Scripture where He says, they're no longer my people. And I want to make a point in this because and we've talked a lot about this often, and it comes up often. There are people in the church today, and it seems to be a growing idea uh, that the children of Israel are no longer the people of God, that the church has replaced Israel, and we just don't see that in the Word of God. See, the church has been grafted in. And we do know that upon Christ's coming, a remnant believed, and, and, and many rejected, and they rejected Him, but praise God, He was faithful when they are faithless. And we know even in this day that we're living in, we see prophecy in Israel being regathered, and we know all Israel will be saved. But listen, we see this right here in Scripture, and we know this is still true today. So let's make sure that we're praying for the peace of Israel, the peace of Jerusalem, and them coming to that place of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing that, we're praying according to the Scriptures. Verse 11, then Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And this is, this is an incredible thing here that is good. Because again, and we touched on this last week, 40 years earlier, it had come into Moses' heart again to deliver Israel, but he really went about it in his own way. It was not who am I, it was I am the man. And you need to follow me, and I'm going to deliver you out of here, and I'm going to use it with my hands, even if it starts by striking down Egyptians that are coming against you. You need to get on board, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do this. And uh, I heard it said once, I don't know who's the first person to say it. It's biblical, you know, that God can't really use a man until he first humbles that man. And I think a lot of times we can run around and do things in our flesh, and it looks like we're doing something for the Lord, but we're really just doing something that isn't necessarily of the Lord. And there's a lot of imitations out there, aren't there? And God needed to take Moses and get him in the desert for 40 years because he'd been in Egypt for 40 years, and it seems like it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. And he's gone from this place, again, of a cocky kind of arrogance. You know what, I'm just going to make this happen to... You know, who am I? Who am I? And uh, there's a balance in this, but this is one side of the scale. When it comes to being sent out, we do need to have that who am I attitude in the sense of, I can't do anything in myself outside of, you know, the Lord I am but dust. What can I do on my own? And you know what the truth is? I can't do anything for the Lord on my own. The kingdom of God is not built with the hands of men. In the sense of the flesh. And us plotting and planning outside of seeking the Lord and strengthening from God and doing things according to the scriptures. It can look like it's something of God, but it doesn't necessarily mean it is. And you can go right to those letters to the churches in Revelation and see it really clear in that Laodicean church outwardly. It looked like the most glorious church. They're rich. They're wealthy. They got buildings upon buildings and so forth. And the Lord says, I'm going to puke you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold, you're poor, naked, you're blind, which is really the description of an unbeliever. And it looks like you're doing something, but you're really doing nothing. And listen, we look at the church here in the West, and without a doubt, the church here in the West is the wealthiest church in the history of the world. And yet, look at our culture. I mean, you look at the church, there's a lot of resources, boy, but it doesn't seem there's like, like there's a lot of power, does it? I like what, uh, I think A.W. Tozer had it right, and he said this like 50, 60 years ago. In the book of Acts, you know what, if, if you would have removed the, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, probably about 90% of what they were doing would have come to an end. And he said, in our days, if you took out the power and work of the Holy Spirit, probably only about 10% would come to an end. And he was describing their men doing things on their own, just with agendas and building stuff like you would do a corporation. In fact, there's a big movement where they bring world business leaders into the leadership network to tell the church how to build the church, and it's basically with the hands of men. And I would have to think if Tozer was today, those things would it probably go to about you know what, ninety nine percent of the things would continue if the Holy Spirit was taken out. Because dude, I know he's in the presence of the Lord, but probably be rolling over in the grave. It's like, dude, you ain't seen nothing, buddy. I mean, I, I, he prophesied incredibly about the time we're living in. Some of these guys like him and Francis Schaeffer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd-Jones, these guys had incredible insight. But the key in this is, though, we need to know, who am I? I can't do anything on my own in my strength. Now, the balance of, the, of it is this. And this is a key to ministry. This is a key to our Christian walk, a humble heart. Who am I? Because if you start thinking, I'm this, I'm that, I'm so-and-so, that should be a red flag. You're a ball of dust that God has given life, and through faith in Jesus Christ, now you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have gifts, but they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God. You know what? Those aren't things we can claim. So who am I? But see, here's the balance in verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here's the balance. Who am I? I'm humble. I mean, I want to walk in humility. I want to know I'm, I'm nothing. Listen, God could use a rock to preach up here if he wants tonight. Who am I? And that's, that's one side of it. But here's the other side of it. Who am I? I'm nothing outside of the Lord, though I know who I am in Jesus. But the balance is, who am I? But listen, God is certainly with me. And so on one hand, you have humility, but on the other side, you have total confidence that I can walk in the Lord, and listen, if God has called me to slay dragons, dragons are going to get slayed. And the strong man is going to get bound, and the gospel is going to get preached, and by his grace and mercy, it's going to get preached with grace, mercy, and authority, and power. And, and there's not going to be apology made in the, the Word of God being rightly divided or in walking in the gifts that He has given to us. And it's that balance of humility in us, but total confidence in the Lord. And so, again, Moses says, who am I? And God's answers to him is, is I'll be with you. And, again, the issue isn't so much who, is, who am I, but who is He? He's God. He's on the throne. If he sends me, he's going before me. No one's going to knock him down. No, no, no one's going to trick him. No one's going to deceive him. No one's going to defeat him. So who am I? It doesn't matter. It's who he is and who I am in Christ as he has told me who I am in Christ and what he has called me to do. And so, again, the emphasis is on the Lord. The emphasis is upon him and who he is. And again... He says he wants to use us, and we need to say, look at who am I? But he wants to use me, so Lord, use me, putting the emphasis on him. Does that make sense there? And again, I love it. I will certainly be with you. So here he is sending Moses to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world who hates him, Um, you know, is trying to destroy the Israelites and so forth. Who am I? He's been humbled. But the answer is, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. And so as the Lord's sending us out, let's remember God is with us. And think about what Paul said in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And we need to remember that. And we need to rest in that. Because again, in this world we're living in today, one of the enemy's tactics is to try to shame the church into some corner. And we need to remember, listen, God is with us, and God is going before us, and we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear the enemy. We don't need to fear the agendas. We don't need to fear, oh, who's going to be the next president? We're not going to be able to worship God anymore. That's nonsense. I'm going to worship God no matter who the next president is. I'm going to share Jesus Christ no matter who it is. I'm going to preach the Word of God. I'm going to do it just like I'm doing it now. might not be here, but it's going to be somewhere, and it might be here, you know, Listen, it's amazing what the underground church gets away with in the world. A lot of times we hear, oh, yeah, this, you know, these people got martyred and so forth. And in that is to the glory of God. But you would be amazed to know what what these guys, and I shouldn't say get away with, but what they get done because they really know who am I. We've got to be dependent upon the Lord. And, and... Things get done and things unfold. I mean, look at the book of Acts. Peter's in prison in the middle of the night. An angel comes and he just walks out of there because God didn't want him there anymore. I says, so you're not going to be here anymore. You're going to be out preaching the next day. So, you know what? Again, we look at the time we're living in. We see that it very much resembles the Bible's description of the last days. We see the love of many growing cold and so forth. But we got to crucify fear. Just like Sunday we talked about we need to crucify anger, we need to crucify fear too. We don't need to be afraid. God is saying, certainly I am with you. And again, if he's with us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's ruling here. I mean, God even, these people plot vain things and God sits in heaven and he laughs at it. And so if God's laughing, why are we trembling? Listen, if we tremble, let's let's have a fear of God, a reverence of God, not of... Men and nations, especially some of these blasphemers that just, you know, are so antichrist, we don't need to fear them. And we need to be reminded of that our God is on the throne, amen? amen? And listen, again, it's kind of a balance. There, there, there's a lack of, I think, of teaching on these days we're living in and addressing issues on one hand, but on the other hand, on those people that are addressing these things, too many times. They're addressing these things boldly, but then not remembering who we are in Christ Jesus and who our God is. And so we don't need to be frightened or fearful. He is with us. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And on one hand, this is good. It's a good question. On the other hand, Moses is kind of leaning on his own understanding he's like well this is what's going to happen and so then what am I going to do and praise God we can bring all our questions before him and sometimes we just think too much but God's gracious to him in verse 14 and God said to Moses I am who I am and he said thus you shall say to the children of Israel I am has sent me to you and so listen Popeye is not the first person to say this This is the Lord. I am who I am. And um, this is a declaration of the eternal God. This is a declaration of, of what we looked at in James a few weeks ago. In him there is no shadow of turning. He is who he is. This is who he is, who he always is, who, he's always, who he has always been, and who he will always be. I am God. I am. And it's, it's a statement of, of great authority. A, a, a statement of, again, great power and so forth. And, you know, what? what's awesome about this is that in the Scripture, again, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we see them singular, That we see them as one in the Holy Trinity. And Jesus Christ, when He was on earth, He declared His deity. And there's some people, my son's taking a history class sequester right now, and the teacher at times tries to dabble in Christianity. And praise God, my my son's getting favor there and correcting her continually. But her latest thing was Jesus never declared himself to be God. And once again, he had to raise his hand and (laughs) interact. And he's gotten favor in there because he's the only one who interacts. I think everyone's too used to doing this so they don't know how to talk to adults and so forth. But we see Jesus you know what? God tells Moses, tell him I am has sent you. Well, listen to this, John eight fifty four. Jesus answered, and he's talking to some Pharisees that are really upset with him. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my father who honors me of whom you say he is your God, yet you have not known him, but I have known him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Jesus, Jesus wasn't politically correct. Um, but I do know him and keep his word. Um, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, drumroll please, I am. And they took up stones to throw them at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them, so passed by. It's the same thing that the Father will actually, we already saw it's the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus talking to Moses here. and that Old Testament, again, appearance of Christ. Um, but it's that declaration, I am God, I am who I am. I've always been. And again, Hebrews thirteen eight. notice what it says here, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means He's always been. And this is important because, listen, the person of Jesus Christ is always being attacked. Just about every cold out there attacks the person of Jesus Christ, saying he's a created being. And they're preaching a false Christ in that. And he's never the Christ who atones for our sins. It's always, we need to go work our way to heaven and climb Sunshine Mountain that appeals to the pride of man who wants to self-deify himself. But again, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and day and forever because he's always been. He is, I am. With the Father... And the Holy Spirit. And then, but saying there in Hebrews, this is in verse 9, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. And I'll tell you, one of the various and strange doctrines is that Jesus isn't I am. He isn't deity. He isn't always the same. And that's not biblical. Jesus Christ is God, and you better believe that He declared He's God. He's declaring it right here. And we need to know that because, again, we talk about there oftentimes where Paul talks about if someone comes, I fear for you as the serpent deceived Eve. If someone comes with a different spirit, a different gospel, or a different Jesus, you may well put up with it. And one of Satan's tactics is put forth a different Jesus, a created being, the Mormon's Jesus. It's the spirit brother of Lucifer. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Again, the Jehovah Witness Jesus, it's a, it's a created being. And you know what? The model of Moses or of, of Mormonism is... As God is, man once was. As God is, man can become. I, I remember reading about that lie in Genesis chapter 3. And yet, again, there's all these lines being blurred today, and there's so many evangelical, I don't even like using that word. Maybe it is the proper word. Evangelical doesn't necessarily mean Bible teaching, but even guys who say they're evangelical that are embracing Mormons as you know, they worship the same Jesus. They don't. They don't believe Jesus is I am. They think him and Lucifer are spirit brothers. Because Mormons think that before we were born, we were all spirits in heaven. And then we come down here on earth that we, as we march towards becoming little deities where we can live on a planet one day and our wives will just pump out children nonstop. And it's just boulder dash is what it is. It's just a fat lie that can even appeal to the flesh of men because they have no hell in it. They have seven levels of heaven. And the idea of men becoming gods really appeals to men. And then, you know, And I, my family has a big, steep history in Mormonism, very high up. I, I'm not just talking here when it comes to that. Uh, I know firsthand about these things. But, you know, it appeals to men especially because it's very much like Islam and the women basically get man's foot upon their neck. And it's interesting, I'm kind of rabbit trailing here, but the main point is they don't acknowledge Jesus as I am, and we better acknowledge he is I am, amen? Amen. And so he says, tell them again, I am, and that's what you need to share. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is a memorial to all generations. And again, God wanted Moses to be clear with them that this was I am, this was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because again, this went back to that covenant. Why was he the God of Abraham? Because Abraham believed, right? And Abraham believed, he understood that a promise had been given of a Savior back there in the garden and that now God was separating him to bring forth a nation that through that nation the Savior of the world would come to die for the sins of mankind and resurrect. And also with this, listen, if they had any Bible knowledge, now we know Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That necessarily doesn't mean that the parts of it weren't already written. We know at the minimum, at least there was oral tradition that the Lord enabled them to pass down in a manner where it didn't get confused. But listen, knowing that it was the God of Abraham, God had prophesied before that Israel would be delivered. And so even in declaring this, the hope would be that perhaps there were elders that knew it had been said, listen, you're not going to be in Egypt forever. You're going to be delivered. So now Moses is coming saying, God has sent me to deliver you. God's word would then ignite faith in their heart to believe. Yes, he's delivered us. He said he would, and now he's doing this. And you can read about this there in Genesis 15 Um, well, we'll just read it 12 through 14. This is Moses, you know, four or 500 years earlier. It says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And God said this not just for abram's sake but that this would be passed down that as they got there into egypt and then as that oppression began to come upon them they would have the hope of the word of god that god's going to deliver us out of this and listen that's the hope we have today this is not our heaven i mean for those that don't know christ this is the closest thing to heaven they're ever going to see but for us this is the closest thing to hell we're ever going to see And I know some people say, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I like it here. Listen, this is like living in a dumpster. As much as we're blessed here, and I don't want to make light of our blessings here, we're blessed. I guarantee you, if you saw a glimpse of heaven and the presence of the Lord in that setting, you would go, I don't ever want to go back over here. This is the the fallen version. This is like, you know what? going in after the, the city's been leveled by a bomb and seeing it versus the glory before as When man sinned, a curse was come. A curse came upon the earth, and it, 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 things changed. But again, I think that God wanted him to declare that in part because it, it had been declared beforehand. And listen, we see this throughout the Word of God, God using prophets telling beforehand so when it comes to pass, they'll know that He is I am. In fact, Jesus said in John 13:19, "I tell you, before it comes, that it do, when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He." Notice again, the I am there." Verse 16, "Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, "The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me saying, "I have surely visited you and seen what has done to you in Egypt, and I have said, I will bring you up out of this affliction." And again, he had said it to Abram, and now he's telling it to Moses. Out of this affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And now notice, God wanted Moses to go in there to the elders. And listen, God sets up systems of order. And he didn't want Moses just to go in and bypass them, but he wanted to go in And respect those elders that were there. Because he knew, listen, going in and sharing it with these guys, they're going to get it. And listen, they had some reservations, but God did put faith in their heart. And these guys had to be aware of those promises to Abraham. So he said, listen, go about doing things the right way. And again, the word is, I'm going to bring you up out of this affliction. The elders should have known that. They should have been expecting that. Uh, Because God always does what He says He's going to do. And listen, there's application to us here because Jesus Christ is coming back. He's told us that He is. Now, how many Israelites that were being oppressed were expecting that? I, I don't know. If the elders were doing their jobs, really, they probably all should have been expecting it. As we see it unfold, I don't really know if that was the case. All the elders should have been expecting it. But let's make application today. How many Christians are living with an expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ? We all should be. And you know, the reason we should be isn't because the late great planet Earth or, you know, a prophecy today on a radio station or anything like that. The reason we should be is because Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back. And there's a place for those things. And most of those men are expounding on scripture and praise God for them. But listen, Jesus saying I'm coming back is enough. And we should be living with an expect, expectation, and absolutely, listen, to the elders, the pastors, those that say, when he says, I send you, that are, say, yes, Lord, send me, we absolutely should be telling people, listen, the Lord's coming back. But part of his coming back, he says, there'll be scoffers and mockers, and sadly, it seems like, again, there's more and more people in the church that are putting less and less emphasis on the coming of Jesus Christ. I could talk more on that, but I want to finish the chapter, so I guess the Lord's telling me not to. Amen. I've talked about it, though, and, and you know what? We want to live with an expectation, and listen, doing that doesn't, that's not a thing. You know, the, the attack on that is, listen, don't worry about prophecy. If you do, it will affect you here. Yeah, it will for the better, because it should put a joy in your heart, and it also should get us about our master's business, knowing he's coming back, and I want to be found about his business. And so this idea of, let's not talk about prophecy. Listen, we've got to go fix the world. God hasn't called me to fix the world. God's called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that the church is about today that God never told us to be about. You want to change cultures, preach the gospel. Cultures will get changed. But today it seems like the, the cart's in front of the horse. We've got to go treat, teach everyone to read, get rid of all this disease, get rid of these dictators. And then maybe some of them will come to Christ. Listen, we need to go preach the gospel and then God, will, God will, will, will begin to work and move in the rest of it. Not to say there's not a place for that, but listen, that's not our main mission. Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is coming soon. Verse 18, then they will heed your voice and you shall come and the elders of Israel, the king of Egypt, and you shall say to them, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with me. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So he's telling Moses, listen, go to Pharaoh, tell him this, but he's not going to let you leave. And see, God knows the end from the beginning and he knows the hearts of men, but God also knew that this thing that would look like a setback that would make the Israelites melt when he basically increases the rigor and the burden on them, that he would use it for good. And so listen, in following Christ, there's going to be times when there's things that seem like a setback. Have you ever been following the Lord and like, there was like seemed like a big bump in the road or a big hole in the road? And like, well, we didn't expect this. This seems like a big setback. God uses it for good. He really does. And He would use this for good because He really what the Lord wanted to allow were His signs and wonders to be seen in Egypt. So when they left, everyone knew who God was. Because these Egyptians basically thought they were gods and they were worshiping all these false gods. God also cared about these Egyptians and there would be a mixed multitude that would leave. Because through the process of these plagues growing out, there would be more than one of them that would repent. And call upon the living God. Because God has separated Israel, not just for their sake, but for all the families of the earth to be blessed. And he wanted these Egyptians to be blessed. So something that seemed like a setback for them... Would really be used again for their benefit it would be used for the glory of god and it'd be used as a witness and we need to be assured in that as well verse 20 so i will stretch out my hand and strike egypt with all my wonders which i will do and it's missed and after that he will let you go and i will give this people favor in the sight of the egyptians and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed but every woman shall ask of her neighbor namely of who dwells near her house for articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And this is where some people that just jump into this chapter say, well, that's not fair. The Egyptians are getting plundered. Listen, these guys have been slaves there for two, three hundred years, and God was going to give them their back pay because they were robbing the people of God. And listen, God always collects. He always collects. I guarantee you it. He always collects. You can't rob from the Lord. He's going to collect. And this also even goes back to the Word of God where it talks about the wicked. They store up their wealth for the righteous. And you see even the wicked in this world wanting to live for this world and, you know what, claim this world, but this world belongs to the sons and daughters of God. And we're going to inherit this earth. And it's going to be the 2.0 version, which is going to be far better than the one that exists right now. And so look at, it's easy to look back at this and God's encouraging Moses to trust in him. He's telling him how all it's going to unfold and then Moses would struggle, wouldn't he? He'd try to find excuses and so forth. And we can read this and go, you know what? Well, Moses, listen, believe because God's going to do this. I've read it. He does it. But here's our challenge tonight. God is telling us what he's doing and what he's going to do. And so listen, as he did what he said he was going to do and things unfolded as he said he would unfold them, instead of looking back and saying, okay, Moses, why are you sweating? God did it the way he said he was going to do it. Let's learn from this because it's written for example. And no, listen, God's going to unfold things as he said he's going to do them for us. And so let's trust in him tonight, amen, and lean on him. Because we already see him doing what he said he's going to do, and he's going to continue to do it the way he said he's going to do it, which includes him coming back for his church. And so let's live with expectation and our eyes upon our Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We glorify you. We honor you. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that as you're coming a second time for your church, we thank you that you came the first time. Lord, that you lived a sinless life, that you went to the cross to die for sinners, to take the wrath to us, to pay the penalty of our sin, and you rose from the grave to defeat the wages of sin, which is death, that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Let me ask you tonight, have you called upon Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Praise God if he is, and if he's not, listen, today's the day of salvation. And we need to be in right standing with the living God, because listen... He has said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's absolutely true. And he also says, all whose names weren't written in the book of life would be cast into the lake of fire. And that's true as well. And you know whose names are written in the book of life? Those who call on the name of the Lord. Because in calling upon Christ to be your Lord, your sins get taken care of. That offense against God. Call him tonight if you don't know him. Turn from whatever your God is. Repent of that. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Ask him to save you, to wash you, and he will. And tell someone tonight. Tell someone tonight if you're calling on him, if you're regiving or rededicating your life to him, so to speak. Listen, make that known. There's many here that would love to pray with you. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands, point you to the Lord. And invite you even to grow with us as we open the word here and worship him together and are just the people here wanting to grow in Jesus Christ. And so bless the rest of our night here, our fellowship. We pray these things in Jesus' name and we said together, Amen. Amen.